0: Greetings, this is Carl, and you are listening to the free public feed of Behavior Gap Radio. And before we move on to today's episode, let me just tell you real quickly about Behavior Gap Radio. I record an episode every day except Sundays, and that is available in the subscriber feed, available if you go to behaviorgapradio.com and sign up. So what you're hearing today is the episode that I release every Thursday to this public feed. So there's a whole party going on and I think you would absolutely love it. So go to behavioropradio.com and join. What you'll get there is an episode every single day. I work really hard to keep them short. I work really hard to send you less. So they're between three and 12 minutes, no guests, me just talking about doing work in public, aligning our use of money with what's important to us, and generally living a life full of adventure. And I'd love to have you. So go to BehaviorGapRadio.com and sign up there. Now on with today's episode. Carl here. So we're still talking about the imposter syndrome. In fact, this is, if I remember right, this is episode number three on this series on imposter syndrome. And it's time for me to tell you my story. And I'm going to just give you the short version of this. Um, When we moved back to Park City, Utah, for after living in Las Vegas, we moved back to Park City, Utah. Now, I grew up in Park City until I was eight. We moved down to Salt Lake when I was eight. But there's a place in Park City called the Kimball Art Center. And it, it's it been here forever. In fact, I remember taking pottery classes, like, like summer camp classes in the Kimball Art Center when I was seven or eight years old. So I love this place. It also happens, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. Like the Kimball Arts Center, Park City, Utah, you think like a small little town. But the Park City punches way above its weight culturally because of the Sundance Film Festival and the Kimball Arts Center. And the Kimball's sort of at the base, it used to be at the base of Old Main Street, right smack in the middle of the Park City Arts Festival, which is a pretty big deal, actually. So the Kimball Arts Center is a super cool place. And I'd been back in Park City for a little while, and I one day I got an email in my inbox from the Kimball. And I thought, well, it's just, it's right, just a, an announcement of a show or something, and I opened it, and it was addressed to me, asking me if I would come, if I would consider giving an art talk, one of their monthly art talks. And I, of course, was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? I mean, I sure, I'd been drawing these sketches um, on my blog and for the New York Times for a while, but I never really thought about it as art. And I certainly didn't think of myself as somebody who could give an art talk, but I knew that something that scared me this much was something I had to say yes to and then figure it out later. So I said, sure, I'd love to. And what I decided to do was give a talk on the feeling of not knowing what to talk about, right? Like on the feeling of, in fact, I called the talk the accidental artist. And I gave this talk on like, what does it even mean to be an artist? And why did I feel this way when you asked me to talk about it? How come you suddenly, when you start calling these things I draw for the New York times art, how come I suddenly feel all funny about it? That's what I gave the talk on. And it was a it was it was super fun, you know. There's a hundred. It was standing room only. 130 people there. My family, my friends, old friends. My my editor from the New York Times happened to be in town, so he gave the introduction. I mean, the whole thing was really really cool. Highlight of my career for sure. And I thought, well, that's that's it, right? That's the end. And then I guess it started a whole series of events where the Board at the Kimball Arts Center started talking about inviting me to do an art show. I didn't know about this until I got an email saying, Hey, Carl, we'd, we've talked as a board. We'd like to invite you to do a, a solo art show. So the details are this. It's just crazy. Even now, eight-week, 50-piece solo art show in the main gallery. And it was going to be right after Sundance. Either right before or right after. I can't remember. So, really important time of year. 50 pieces, eight weeks long. Now, I, this was truly like, what? Right? I didn't even know what a piece was. I drew things on cardstock, you know? Super, super nervous. I called somebody I'd recently, been, I'd recently been introduced to, my friend Nelson Parrish. And Nelson is what I always like to think of as a real artist. You know, he makes these really fancy totem things. You hang them in their wall. People pay a lot of money. He went to art school like he knows what he's doing. And I convinced him to come over to my office and talk to me about this. And I was like, dude, what do I do? And we were sitting around the exact same table I'm at right now. It's like this big standing kind of work table. And behind me... I had an old weathered chalkboard that I would draw on all the time. And I'm talking to Nelson and I drew something up on the chalkboard and I'm talking to Nelson and I noticed Nelson is staring past me at the chalkboard. And he's like, Carl, Carl, what What if you just did old weathered chalkboards? I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, what if you just did old weathered chalkboards and you sold those as art? I was like, what, what? That's a crazy idea. Let's try it, right? I got, I sort of latched onto this idea of pragmatic art. So let, let's do like, uh, napkins, framed napkins. And let's do old weathered chalkboards. Let's do like pragmatic use art. So that's what we decided to do. And then I had to figure out, like I started looking for the book, you know, the book on pricing, how you price art. Have any of you looked for this book? It doesn't exist. So I remembered, you know, my father-in-law was a builder. Everything seemed to be in per square foot. So we just <laughs> decided to sell the art per square foot. The whole thing. So I said yes to the Kimball. And we go to do the show. You know, months go by and we get all ready. And I start bringing pieces up there and they start hanging them. And I would show up to the Kimball every once in a while. And I would see this just flurry of activity and lighting and 50 pieces. And the, the staff there did a ridiculously good job. I mean, everything. And I would walk in and... and you know, as things got closer and closer, it became more and more real. And I'd, I'd get almost like physically sick when I'd go. Because people would come up to me and say, Carl, this works amazing. It's going to be so great. And I would be, in fact, the more people told me it was good, the more, the closer I got to vomiting. It was really, really crazy and scary. And then opening night happened. And I'm skipping a lot of details, but opening night, there's this big banner. Out front, like ten foot tall banner of me and some of the art, like my hand drawing and some of the art, it's evening, it's beautiful, it's lit up, and I can see in the window I'd been there all day preparing, but I'd gone home, I come back, and I can see in the window that there's you know a hundred plus people in there, people holding fancy drinks, somebody walking around with hors d'oeuvres. I tried to walk in. In fact, I did walk in. I got inside, just stood over to the side. and was like, what have I done? And I, I I can't remember all the details, but I, 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 how long I stayed in the first time, but I know I had to leave. And I went back outside. In fact, I do remember, I remember going in and seeing people gathered around the pieces, sort of laughing and pointing at them. And, and of course they're meant to be funny, right? They're, they're meant to invite people to talk about the mistakes they've made with with money some of them are meant to be sarcastic as my editor Ron Lieber says they're 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 the good ones are confrontational without being off-putting so they're meant to be but i that's not what i saw what i saw was people pointing laughing like where does this guy get off chalkboard for this price art come on right that's what i saw so i went back outside and i went back around in the alley and just i thought i was going to I thought I was going to vomit. I didn't. I sort of got myself together and went back in and would wander around and talk to people. And and then every few minutes I had to go find my wife and stare her in the eyes. And she would say something like, you're doing fine. You're doing fine. Right. And then there came this moment as I was walking around, you know, every one of the, all 50 pieces had these little note cards. You've seen these before. Next to the piece, and it had a description of the piece, and you know it would say like in a in a normal art show, it'd say something like uh, you know watercolor on paper or acrylic on canvas or oil on you know whatever. On mine, it said things like chalk on chalkboard (laughs) or pen on napkin, right? And but I noticed something as the night went on that there were these little black dots that started to show up, and I was like, oh no, what does that mean? Like black. That must mean, black dot must mean something bad. Like, people are voting on them, and these are the ones that are getting the least votes or whatever. So I found a member of the staff, and I was like, what are these black dots? What's, what, what's the problem? And the person told me, Carl, those are the ones that sold. Well, we got through the art show. Barely. At least I did physically barely. And it turned out to be one of the best-selling art shows that the Kimball had ever had. Now, I barely made it through. And if you fast forward a couple of years, I'm telling this story to uh, a, a company I worked for as part of the recruitment process. Everybody got the benefit, and it truly was a benefit, of meeting with an industrial psychiatrist, psychologist, right? Like an organizational behavior sort of professional psychi- psychologist, basically like a, an executive coach. And I was telling her this story. And others like it, you know, like the first time I spoke somewhere and the first time it appeared. I was telling her about this feeling, this feeling, this worry that I had that somebody was going to bust in the door and say, what's going on? This guy's a fraud. This isn't art. As I was telling her the story, she said to me, she interrupted me gently and said, Carl, you know that has a name. I was like, what? What are you talking about? That feeling has a name. It's called the imposter syndrome. And I remember a little piece of my life changing. It has a name, the imposter syndrome, right? Because if it had a name, it meant other people had felt it. If it had a name, it probably meant people had researched it and studied it. If it had a name, it meant there might be a way to deal with it. So that was my experience with learning about the imposter syndrome. It has a name, my friends, the imposter syndrome, and we're going to break it down over the next couple of episodes. That's it for the stories. Now we're going to break it down. Greetings. It's Carl again. I hope you enjoyed that. And if you enjoyed that, you would love being a subscriber. So go to behaviorgapradio.com and sign up and I'll see you there.